This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Everything's customizable these days. Your trading platform can be too. With Thinkorswim, you can customize screeners, charting, and stock forecasts, so the market is always tailored to you. You can get started at tdameritrade.com slash thinkorswim. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. Joining me today to break down some of the most interesting stories in energy and industrials this week is Molly Full Analyst, Jim Gillies. Jim, welcome back on the show. Glad to be here. Thanks, Nick. That's great to have you on. we got some great co- topics queued up today. I sent out a Twitter poll this week asking fo- what, I, what folks wanted us to talk about, and the winners were that we would discuss. Warren Buffett selling his stake in the airlines and the latest in Tesla earnings and Elon Musk Twitter antics. Let's start off uh, with Buffett first. I know you've been following uh, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway for a long time. I've actually met him uh, in person a couple times. When you heard that Buffett was selling his entire airline stake across all four of the major airlines, almost 10% holdings in all of them, uh, what was your first reaction? Um, this is not great for airline stock valuation going forward. I actually felt very seen, very very heard, if you will, uh, because uh, we've had we've been doing a lot of uh, Fool Live publications and other venues, and a question that comes up all the time because of the way stocks reacted in March was what do you think about airlines you know everyone's looking for bargain uh bargain hunting which which is an inherently good uh instinct i think you want to buy things when they're on sale so people looked at airlines and they had the the imprimatur of the oracle of omaha of, of warren buffett and and you know oh he owns 10 percent of all of them and 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 wow maybe, and now they're down 50 60 70 percent maybe we should jump in here and i've been saying for a while now folks the world has changed for airlines. I believe the airlines are going to continue flying. The flag carriers will be the But the, the equity, the current shares may go to zero. These companies may go into some form of a bankruptcy, uh, a pre-planned bankruptcy, a chapter 11, where the existing equity is wiped out. The previous debt holders become equity holders, and, and we kind of go on from there. Or it may be functionally equivalent, where the government shoves money into these things over time, uh, but you know the they, they put in so much money they end up owning so much of it that it becomes functionally equivalent. So if you pull up a stock chart, say of AIG or Citigroup coming out of the global financial crisis in 0809, you will see that the effective price of those stocks is still down 95, 99 plus percent. They never technically went bankrupt, but you might as well. I mean, if you're a shareholder from before that, you don't notice the difference. So with all of that said, when Buffett comes along and he says we sold all of our holdings in all four that was and he basically said it's because the equity may not be worth anything even if these businesses survive that you know like i said i felt very seen uh you know i'd come to the same conclusion he had but the you know my first thought was actually what about all these poor investors who have coattailed Buffett over the years. Now, now I am, I'm a Berkshire Hathaway shareholder, as are indeed many, many fools. Uh, I, so, you know, on a look-through basis, yeah, I'm a little bit damaged by this because he bought it at, at much higher prices than, uh, than he sold them at. But, you know, in addition to that, there's, there's a phenomenon called coattailing, where you find someone whose ideas you respect and you see what they're doing. It's like, oh, you know what? I don't, I'm not gonna buy Berkshire Hathaway, I, but if, if it's good enough for Buffett to do, I'm going to go chase and do what, you know, do what he just said. So, you know, how many people bought airlines because of the Buffett imprimatur? How many people in the wake of the this kind of quick flash crash we had, or well, not really much, but, you know, we have one month, 30% drawdown. How many people in that drawdown were like much of the people we've seen coming forward on these full live broadcasts saying, well, you know, oh, the airlines are down 70% and oh, Buffett. Warren Buffett owns 10% of these. This must be a great time for me to get in at a lower price. Not perhaps thinking, you know, that Buffett might change his mind. That's one thing I really admire about Buffett, even though he took a loss here. And he said, this was a mistake. I made a mistake. And the best part, I think, about this, 
yes, we lost money, and that's fine. Um, but he was he, when he recognized the world had changed, he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't, you know, try to double down to maybe make the mistake look less, you know, egregious. He basically said, no, I've made a mistake. I need to take my medicine. I'm done. I'm out. Finished. Yeah, a lot of points raised there, and I, I agree with many of them. I think this instinct that a lot of folks have to, to buy up their losers, average down, is counterintuitive. You, you should be buying your, your stocks that are winners, that have succeeded, that if your thesis has been proved out on, and those stocks where, where you know, your thesis has been disproved, as Buffett has said, uh, it, he thinks has happened in this case, maybe it's time to sell. Uh, one, one of the things you talk about coattailing and following these these guru investors, one point a lot of people have raised in response to, to Buffett selling the airlines is that, hey, you as an individual investor are positioned differently from Warren Buffett. This is someone who's 89 years old, has a, uh, a bunch of other operating businesses uh, that are going to be affected by what's going on, as well as an insurance company. Maybe his perspective on the business is influenced by all those other things and the, the, the investment's more attractive um, you know, maybe for you as an individual investor than it would be for Buffett. You, you don't agree with that argument at all? I, I, I don't agree with that at all. Uh, Buffett has made, uh, look, Buffett is not unaware that he is 89 years old. Buffett is not unaware that his time heading Berkshire Hathaway and his time on the stage is coming to a close. Uh, it's not coming soon, I hope. Uh, you know, and I've been a Berkshire shareholder for, uh, coming up on 20 years, I think. Um, and, you know, and I was hearing this argument back then, you know, it's like, oh, he's 70 years old, you know, I mean, he can't stay there forever. Well, you know, two decades later, here we are. Um, but he has long said, look, Berkshire is built to survive me. He says, I think the stock will go up when I exit the stage. I'll, I will take the other side of that bet. I think the stock will probably go down the day he decides to leave uh, or leaves without deciding to leave. Um, but he has said he has built his life's work on long-term thinking, the long-term survivability and viability of this business. I happen to think that Berkshire, I, I would argue Berkshire, with Buffett in charge or not, has a longer time horizon than I have. Because Berkshire, we hope, will be around when I'm off the stage as well. Forget Buffett. So no, I really think this. This uh, I really think the the big issue here is he sees either actual bankruptcy or, as I said earlier, functionally equivalent to bankruptcy. I think he believes the equity of one or more of these could be severely slash permanently impaired, and you know he know he knows he doesn't have a time machine to go back and not buy those. Uh, he, he knew, I mean, he, he, he knew that he was already getting some attention because, uh, two of the, he owned 10% of all four, two of them, I believe was Delta and Southwest. He, he, I was either through buybacks or whatever. They were actually above a 10, 10% threshold. And when you're above the 10% threshold as an exterior investor, you have to file with the SEC, uh, to let people, you know, because you, you could be putting some influence on these things. So so in uh, early April, I believe it was, uh, news came out, there were, uh, the forms were filed that showed that Buffett and Berkshire had sold down below the 10% threshold for those two airlines. And at the time, it's like, okay, well, that's probably not positive, but we don't know the full extent of what that is. Like, all we know is he now has all four airlines below 10%. But did he stop there? Did he sell them all off? Did he uh, did he, did he sell a bunch off because maybe he's going to make a run? I I thought perhaps that Berkshire Hathaway may go after what I consider the best run of the four, and that would be Southwest. I thought it's possible that here's Berkshire, which has added you know um, uh, railroads in the past and has energy and has this you know wide swath and cross section of American business. You know, I thought it might look kind of nice that maybe an airline might fit in nicely there. And I thought, well, maybe he'll maybe he's going to he's taking a run, setting up to take a run at Southwest. Turns out he's like, no, I've made a mistake. I'm out entirely. And he had to have known that that was not going to be received terribly well, uh, you know, on Wall Street, on Main Street. But he did it anyway because it was the right thing. He, he believes it's the right thing for Berkshire, Berkshire Hathaway and Berkshire Hathaway shareholders. Yeah, I would say, you know, th this is probably, and I've, you've been following Buffett much longer than I have, probably the most 
I wouldn't say it was I'm bearish, but but, <laughs> but but tepid on the markets uh, that, I, yes. that I have seen him. Yes, and actually that is something, and 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 we say we I'm going to say this against the backdrop of as a, as of this recording, the Nasdaq is now up for the year. So in spite of the that flash crash, that March crash we had, the Nasdaq is now up for the year. It seems that any number of uh, we'll say high valuation, high multiple, often cash anemic, if not cash burning companies are hitting new highs daily. Um, one thing I found, as, as you say, he was very tepid. And my concern, and I voiced this in other places, was that here is the man who, if he didn't coin the phrase, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. He certainly has become popularized with it. He, he similarly has said things like, when, when it starts raining gold, we want to be outside with wash tubs, not teaspoons. Okay. What, okay, so this, this is what he said. What did he do? Well, what he did was, he, in, in, in first quarter, he was a net seller of stocks. He bought a little bit of Berkshire back got rid of some airline. And as we went into April, he was much more of a seller in stocks, all of the airlines. He was building cash. He already had $128 billion on the books of Berkshire Hathaway. End of the quarter, it's $137 billion. He didn't make an attempt. He, he wasn't greedy when others were fearful. And I don't know if you remember, Nick, but people were pretty damn fearful in, in March. Um, you know, he wasn't greedy. And he didn't run outside with wash tubs when it was raining gold. And to be honest with you, that gives me a little bit of pause. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I still think, you know, we, we see these, it's Thursday, right? We got, we had the latest unemployment numbers coming down as another 3 million uh, unemployed uh, folks. There, there are now more people unemployed in the U.S. than we have people here in Canada. That is a mind-numbing statistic for me. Right. My entire country is unemployed in your country. That's an insane stat, you know, just to hear it put that way, and then and then to see yeah. the, you know, the market, the markets are rocketing up. It, it, that that disconnect um, is difficult. Bringing it back around to kind of the airlines and the liquidity situation therein, we, we let off the show talking about how a lot of folks are excited. They see these stocks selling off, you know, fifty plus percent, uh, and they they, they want to jump in. And we've told a story here today, and Buffett, had, you know, based on what Buffett has said, he agrees with this that. Uh, these are companies that, that you know very well. The equity could be wiped. Uh, is there anywhere when you look around this space, given this environment, that you might be excited to jump in uh, related to aerospace? Sure. Um, so we've already kind of stuck the fork in the airlines. And look, we don't obviously know the future. They they may ultimately get something worked out that you know, or whether this softens beforehand or whatever. But you know, I'm not. Obviously not interested in the airlines. Um, I'm similarly, I'm looking at, obviously Boeing has had their issues, the 737 MAX issues before all of this happened. Similarly, Airbus uh, over in Europe was saying, you know, like, I think that's a bit of hyperbole, frankly, but the CEO was saying things like, you know, like, look, we, we have to all pull together or we could lose the company. Well, when both halves of the worldwide duopoly for airlines or airplanes are in trouble. I mean, like, I'm not interested there either. But I'm thanking you for teeing this up for me here. Uh, because do you know, Nick, do you know, I think you might know because we might have talked about this. Do you know who the world's largest buyer of airplanes is, of, of, of like passenger liners is? You know, I wouldn't have known before yesterday when you told me. But Jim, what is it? It is an aircraft leasing company called Aircap Holdings. AER, I believe, on the New York Stock yes. Exchange. They are the world's largest buy. I mean, it's not one of the airlines. It's these guys. And these guys buy planes and then lease them to airlines around the world. They have relationships with 200, I believe, um, airlines around the world. 70% of their business is with the U.S. majors and the China uh, Asian majors. Now, who is going to get who is going to get the bulk of the support from governments and right now so far governments around the world have pledged somewhere on the order of 100 billion dollars to prop up 
their respective airline industries. Uh, the CEO of Aircap on this week on their um, on their uh, conference call said we actually think it could go to two hundred billion dollars. And you know what's a hundred extra billion between friends really? Um, but in the case where the airlines go into a pre-planned bankruptcy, and I and I and, and when what I mean by bankruptcy is not they will cease to exist. Okay, that they will stop flying and, and we're done. This would be pre-planned. I, I have a book on the bookshelf behind me, which you can't see me right now, but uh, there's a book, a book on my bookshelf called Air Monopoly. And Air Monopoly is the story of the last time, the last time that Air Canada, Canada's flagship carrier, went bankrupt. Now, Can Air Canada is still Canada's flagship carrier. Air Canada is quite often the start and end of any search. If you need to fly in Canada, they fly to the States, fly to Europe. That's usually where we start looking is Air Canada. And yet their equity was wiped out entirely in 2002, 2003 era, uh, in the wake of September 11th and SARS, basically. Um, that could very much be the fate of a lot of airlines around the world. But yet they're still going to keep flying. And when they do, they're going to need planes. And so Aircap buys the planes and places them with the airlines. What could also happen is as, as governments around the world shove capital into these airlines to keep them running, on the other side of this, these airlines are going to be looking to shed costs, to get out from government financing. We saw that in the global financial crisis with the banks when you know the banks had all this capital shoved into them by the governments and they paid these things off as fast as possible because you don't want to be beholden to the government, frankly, regardless of what country you're in. And so if that is the case, then they are going to be looking to shed capital costs, like say, you know, I don't know, buying planes. Planes are expensive. If I don't have to buy a plane, if I could just get you, the leasing company, to buy the plane, and then I'll lease it from you, and yeah, my payments are going to be larger than, you know, it, it's more expensive to buy a car on a seven-year loan, Nick, right, than to, you know, take advantage of all the, all the bells and whistles and pay cash for it up front. They're not going to care because they can get, you know, by, by leasing planes, that'll free up more capital internally, maybe to get the governments off their back. So I actually think that this, the, the, this brave new world we're in now, I do believe air traffic will come back perhaps faster than people expect. And I would point to China, uh, where AirCap has some, as I mentioned earlier, AirCap is around the world. Most of their businesses, uh, China, Asia, and uh, U.S. majors. Um, China in January was running 15, 16,000 flights per day. Now there's Chinese New Year's around there. So you expect elevated travel. It's like US Thanksgiving. By February, they're done about 4,000 flights per day. Okay, countries locked down, coronavirus pandemic. So I mean, the traffic is way down. They're now back up. They're now back up in the 10, 11, 12,000 flight per day range. You know, they've passed through the, the worst of it and they're now back on the way up. Assuming that that is the similar pattern to what we're going to have in North America and Europe, that, you know, speaks to a air cap surviving. And I've, I've said air cap, I think it was about a $70 stock three months ago. Uh, it was about a $15 stock one month ago. It's now, I think, in the high 20s. Like, I mean, they got they got hit pretty hard, uh, but, you know, they are they are telling anyone who will listen, we we will survive and here's how like they are being very explicit in no no we're a survivor and i i was quipping a little bit maybe two or three weeks ago it's like you know i i and full disclosure i ended up buying some shares here um but uh, they were they were i was quipping that you know that in two years this is either a zero or it's a triple because i mean it was it was it was a triple three months ago, or it was triple the price three months ago. So even if they just get back to where they are, uh, but they're exceptionally well run. They focus on new technology. Um, I think it's something like the about 16 to 20% of airplanes around the world are the so-called newest of new technology. Aircap's fleet, it's close to 60%. Um, they, their average lease still has seven and a half years to run. They've got no slots to place planes now anyway. 
they're working with all their clients. They've got banking relationships with 120 banks and help financing things. So, uh, you know, I really like this company as my play. If I'm going to, if I'm going to play in the air, airline space and the, and the, the aircraft space, I kind of want to be in the leasing area rather than the actual airplanes. Yeah. Just to underline one of the points you highlighted earlier on bankruptcy, we've spent a lot of time on this show. Uh, we talked earlier, um, about there's a decent chance that some of these airlines could go bankrupt. And what happens in a bankruptcy, right? The current equity gets wiped and the debt holders, you know, people with residual claimants on the company usually end up with the assets. And as the company who owns the planes that the company flies, the Aircap owns the companies and leases them back uh, uh, to, to the, or leases them to the, to the airlines, they can just take their, the planes back in bankruptcy. If, if, these, if these airlines disappear, and demand for air travel returns in a year or two down the line, they're the ones who are going to have these valuable assets while these airline stocks that are out today, that equity very well could be wiped. And at the end of the day, you yep. want to own these assets. And when you look at the financial position they're in, I mean, I was really impressed with, with, with management's earnings call. I mean, they really, in a really direct, straightforward way, laid out everything you would want to know as a shareholder uh, in a really logical, easy-to-follow way, which I, I, I really appreciated, especially in a time like this. Yeah, no, exactly. They, they, if if, if uh, anyone listening has access to conference call transcripts, this was this was a masterclass. I thought uh, their most recent call, where yeah, they say, hey, yeah, here's how we're going to get through this and why, um, you know, and and they are, you know, like they they carry some leverage. Uh, you have to you have to understand when a, a leasing company, uh, it's almost like a bank, um, you know, or any kind of a financing company. Debt is raw material. Right. So financing is raw material for these guys. They turn debt into these assets, these planes. Um, one of the points that they've made, I don't remember if it was the most recent conference call or if it was from an investor's conference a month or so ago. One of the, the things they said is like, Look, guys, airlines go bankrupt all the time. This is not our first rodeo. Like we have taken planes back from bankruptcy filing, you know, Lot, lots of times, many times in the past. Okay, it's a bit more elevated now. And, you know, like the, there's nothing going on right now that, you know, in admittedly in more isolated terms or more sporadic and spaced out that they've not seen to, that they've not seen before. But they have seen this before. And, you know, so, I mean, I, I like the stat, you know, uh, we we have seen a couple of uh, we have seen a couple of airlines already go down. Uh, Air Mauritius, you know, we all fly Air Mauritius, Air Mauritius on a on a regular basis. Uh, Virgin Australia, they have both, I believe, entered uh, bankruptcy protection. Uh, Norwegian Airlines, um, they have they've worked out a they've worked it's not bankruptcy technically, but they've worked out a deal with all of their creditors and the government, including Air Lessor as well or um, um, Aircap as well. But Nick, 2019, before all of this unpleasantness, 2019, how many airlines went bankrupt around the world? That's a great question. I don't know. Yeah, more than I would think, I right? And we were and we were air travel was it was yeah. rocking and rolling all time highs. So yep. how, how many went bankrupt? Twenty three. There you go. They, they 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 have seen this before. In fact, it is possible. I, you know, just a, I'll, I'll throw this out there as a as a something people can bang over my head when I'm wrong later. Um, it is possible there were more more airline bankruptcies in 2019 than will happen in 2020 because 2019, as you just said, air, air travel is rocking and rolling, and so that's just a sign of like bad management or whatever, right? Whereas in 2020, anyone who runs into trouble is going to be throwing themselves upon the mercy of uh, the government largesse, which we again we mentioned 100 billion so far, maybe could go as high as 200 billion. Uh, we make we actually might have got we might get more bankruptcies last year than this year, which is Somewhat, you know, silly thing to say, maybe, but I, I think it could happen. That is a bold prediction. All right, y'all. If y'all aren't into airlines, you want something more exciting on the back half of the show, we're bringing all the excitement with Elon Musk uh, and Tesla. You got a weird definition of excitement, <laughs> man. <laughs> uh, this episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, and these un unprecedented. Gosh. This episode of Industry Focus is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In these unprecedented times, having access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions for today and tomorrow. TD Ameritrade is committed to providing you with a range of relevant educational content like timely articles, informative webcasts, and even access to daily live market news. So you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. 
To learn more about their breadth of resources, go to tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. All right, folks, if you, if you were bored on the first half of the show, uh, I think we've got some excitement here. I don't know if, if for folks who have listened to Elon Musk's interview, second interview with Joe Rogan, he said he thought he thought uh, Warren Buffett's job must be pretty boring. Well, we're going to talk about a little bit more exciting uh, company here with Tesla uh, earnings last week. And you look at look at the headline numbers, really pretty impressive. Third straight quarter of positive gap net profit, uh, the first ever uh, profitable first quarter that they've had, and they had record. Uh, first quarter production and deliveries, uh, Jim. When, when you when you look at those numbers, obviously some some pretty impressive headline numbers. What what do you take away from the quarter? Uh, sure, they're impressive headline numbers. Now you are comparing against Q1 last year, which was not great. Um, so I'm going to state my bias up front, so people can tune out now if they want to. Uh, I am not a believer in the Tesla story. I think that uh, the best case scenario is there's being uh, some of the facts are being played fast and loose with at the best of times. Um, so I'm just going to leave that there. Um, the headline numbers look great, and and my job, and not, this is not a Tesla thing. This is this is a this is a this is my job regardless of what company I look at. Okay, so I could give you a long list of companies where I you I never trust the first I, I never trust the numbers that are given to me in a press release ever for any company. I always have to go in and dig and, and what have you. Um, and, you know, and that's how you decide, is this actually better than than expected? Is it worse than expected? So. With Tesla, one of the things that immediately jumps out. So, yes, they delivered a 16 million dollar gap generally accepted accounting principles profit fantastic okay they have a small part of their business not as small as it usually is but they have a small part of the business where they sell regulatory credits okay uh, these are credits that have been created because they have green vehicles. Other vehicle makers who have less green vehicles need to buy credits. It needs to show a certain amount of green production. They maybe can't or don't do it themselves yet. We'll talk about competition maybe some other time. And so they can buy credits from Tesla, green zero emission credit. So, and Tesla's been selling these credits every quarter. You know, this is a regular part of it. It's not a big part. You know, when you're doing five, six billion dollars on top line car sales, what's one hundred and fifty million dollars in, you know, emission credits? That's no big deal. But it is one hundred percent gross margin. Okay, so this is this is this is about the most profitable thing you can have. But hey, again, you know what? Tesla's got them. They can sell them. That's not a problem. That is perfectly legal, perfectly acceptable. And I'd be angry as a shareholder if they didn't sell them. But the average that they've been doing for the last five or six quarters, I think, is in about the 150 to 175 million range ballpark. Yeah, that's that's about right. I mean, the, the, their recent the, the recent high before this had been Q1 of 2019. So it, sure, yeah. which was a desperation quarter for them. It was a very bad quarter last year. Same quarter. Um, okay, average 150, 175 the last say six quarters. This quarter they sold 354 million. That by itself, and 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 you know again the the the, the so-called profitability, the thing that, that people are hinging hinging on, is 16 million. Well, okay, you know what? I'm going to have a hard time not reporting a gap profit if I'm selling 354 million dollars worth of 100% gross margin credits. Okay, if they had just sold their average, so let's say they'd sold 200 million instead of 354 million higher than their average for the last six quarters. This company is reporting a hundred plus million dollar loss. Okay. So this, they did not make a profit because of their car business, which is what they are. They're, they're a car maker. They did not make this profit because they, of their uh, solar business. You remember solar city, you know, that they acquired, you know, because it's uh, integral to the success of Tesla going forward. Uh, you know, their, their installed megawatts went down this quarter. No, they, 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 they posted a gap profit because they sold something that can't be repeated. 
So the other thing is, and the other thing is too, is that their tax rate, their effective tax rate for the quarter was what two or three percent. Like I don't, I don't know what chicanery they were pulling on that, but you know, we we used to look at IBM. You know, the everyone knows IBM. IBM for years was you know castigated, rightly so. Uh, for for managing their earnings and bragging every quarter, we're going to have twenty dollars per share and this kind of look through earnings, yada yada yada. But they were manipulating their their uh, they were buying back stock, they were manipulating their tax rate, they were pulling all kinds of crap. And 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 Wall Street just you know just at at one point you know just said you know what like you guys are just you're you're playing accounting games. To show these profits, so we're just going to stop listening to you. And, and to this day, like IBM's trading at what nine times earnings, ten times earnings. It's still a massive company with a massive name, but you know, the analyst community got wise to the chicanery being pulled. And so you kind of look at this this here. It's like eh, super low tax rate, uh, sale of one-time items. There's some other stuff, puts and takes that I would uh, I would question. But those are those are you know like uh, they they went they had one factory last year. They had two factories this year. Operating expense went down. That's that's a good trick. So so Jim, yeah, I, I, I see the criticism on you know it's a sixteen million dollar gap profit, but for any amount of regulatory sales, essentially that, that, that they're not going to show a gap profit. I think one one question I have for you though is Musk said on the conference call following up that they ex regulatory sales that a twenty percent auto gross margin is that is that you know they they are showing some progress on getting cost controls under you know underway that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, is that yeah. Encouraging for you, or, or what's your view there yes. on that part of the business? Yeah, no, I would say actually you better get it over twenty percent. But yeah, no, I, I would I would say yes, that is encouraging. I, I haven't done a deep dive into uh, the components of gross margin, uh, but you know on the surface I'm willing to accept that yeah we got to twenty and and it's it's good. Right. Uh, and and I'm going to actually say this too. I mean again maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm showing uh, my particular style of analysis and investing. Um, okay, so you reported gap profit. If I told you, Nick, that I don't care about gap profit, I, I don't. Uh, I care about some very specific things, but you know, I I I happen to um, I happen to employ a chartered accountant uh, in my house, and um, and when I say employ, I mean she's my significant other, and uh, you know, and she has reminded me on many occasions. We once had a a a two hour. Um, Elevated discussion, we'll call it, about the proper way to uh, to treat deferred taxes. So that's the kind of excitement you get around my house. Um, but she has told me multiple times, you know, pounded into my thick skull. You can you account. I can show whatever profit you want me to show. Like that's not the issue. I can I can you know I can make the statements and put. I can show you what you want. I want to I want to talk about cash flows. I want to talk about, you know, what is the actual health of the business because gap profit is one thing, but cash flows tell a very different story here in Q1. Okay, what what story does the cash flows tell you, Jim? It, it's it's less enthusiastic. So they they had a 16 million dollar um 16 million dollar gap profit. Fine. The first thing I'm going to point you to is what's called cash flow from operations. So the third, the third financial statement, you got your income statement, you got your balance sheet. I suppose you've got your statement of shareholders equity, but no one pays attention to that. Uh, and so the third one is the statement of cash flows. And the statement of cash flows is, is delineated into three sections, operating cash flows, investing cash flows, financing cash flows, operating cash flows. How much cash did you make from running your business? Okay. And the way you calculate operating cash flows is you start with gap profit. So you take the number at the bottom of the income statement, and that's the top number on the statement of cash flows. And then you add and subtract all of the non-cash charges and all the other sources and uses of cash in, um, you know, in your operations to come up with your cash flow from operations number. Since you're starting with the number from the bottom of the income statement, you're starting. Okay, a, a, there's a, a, all kinds of earnings quality books you can get out there. There's uh, Thornton O'Glove's Quality of Earnings. There's Hewitt Heiserman's It's Earnings Account. There's all kinds of cash flow numbers from Mulford and whatever. Um, the, the general, the quick heuristic, the quick rule of thumb is that operating cash flow, because it starts with net income, with gap profit, and then you are adding back non-cash charges like depreciation, like amortization, like stock-based compensation, Operating cash flow should be higher than gap profit. 
Okay. It is not uncommon to see a company turn in a loss, a gap loss, and yet on an operating cash flow basis, they're positive. You know, there's all kinds of SaaS companies out there right now who have very large bills in terms of uh, stock-based compensation that gets taken off on the gap profitability numbers. But because it's a non-cash charge against, you know, the cash flow, it gets added back on the statement of cash flows. So what you want to see is for higher quality earnings, higher earnings quality, operating cash flow should be higher than net income. Tesla Q1 reported gap profit of $16 million. You like to take a stab at what their operating cash flow was, Nick? Uh, was it positive or negative, do you think? It, it, was, it was significantly negative. It was significantly negative. It was about minus $450 to $500 million, I believe. I think it's negative 454 or something. But the point is... It's not higher than gap profit. Now, my question that I would turn around is, what is the incentive to report a gap profit and a negative cash flow number? Well, to show a profit, of course. Okay, so, so what we're saying by that is to show a profit. You're, you're correct. But how profitable is it? And why do you do? Why do you need to show a profit? Are you assuming that most people, most analysts, most investors don't read past the word profit? I mean, that may be true, but that's kind of sad if it's true. Like I said, I don't care about it. I will go. I go straight to. Um, I go straight to cash flows and and looking at what's going on there. But then the next question I would ask you is, why? Because again, we have a gap profit. We add back amortization we add back depreciation we add back stock-based compensation all of which are not exactly insignificant for tesla and we still end up with a negative negative cash why is that nick i think i think you're gonna tell me jim why don't you tell me i i i i, I admit stop I, the suspense. I am, I am I, the suspense, it. I know, the suspense it's, it's killing me okay well the first thing is so tesla's history is they backload their quarters, right? So in a quarter, uh, you know, the first month of a quarter is pretty mundane. The second month of a quarter is pretty mundane. They maybe sell 10 to 15% of whatever they're going to sell in a quarter or deliver, I should say. I shouldn't say sell. Uh, they deliver maybe 10 to 15% uh, in the first couple of quarters each or first couple of months in a quarter each. And then there's an inevitable push in the last, you know, so, you know, at the end of 2019, there was that big, massive push in December. You know, so October was meh, November was meh, and suddenly December, we're going to just jam all the cars out. And in fact, you know, the, what we've seen the last few quarters is there's always some sort of a miraculous leaked email uh, that's come from Elon to uh, staff. I mean, it's, it's quite remarkable it happens every quarter. Uh, where, you know, hey, let's all hands on deck. And if we do that, we have a shot at a record quarter and all this wonderful stuff. And so they they jam like 70% of the, of the deliveries in the quarter into the last month. Okay. Didn't get to do that this, this quarter, did they? Because the world's in pandemic shutdown. And so we didn't have that you know, mad rush at the end. So one of the th reasons why their cash flow is negative is because they got a bunch of unsold cars sitting around on the balance sheet. So they built them, you know, I believe they, you know, they, they, they said production was about 102,000. They delivered about 88, 89,000. So there's what 14,000 cars just sitting there. Right. Uh, at, remember that when, you know, next time you hear how every Tesla's built custom, by the way. Um, so that's one reason that's cash. You've got cash sitting in that inventory. So that inventory is going to have to be liquidated, you know, and, and, and you would hope that they would liquidate it this quarter. Um, you know, so they'll be selling and probably, they'll probably be marking down a few well, cars. And their factory's so closed, right? So they're not producing, right? So they're, they're naturally well, going to sell and down. And any any sales they give that. is going to be out of that inventory. Sure. Right. Again, remember that next time you hear someone tell you that all Teslas are custom built. Um, so that's number one, number two. So, so that's something that will, that will and should reverse, I would hope, uh, this quarter. And I think it will, um, we've already had some, uh, 
we've had some signs of that in certain places, Great Britain, um, where there is some inventory liquidation. Not a lot yet, and we won't really know until uh, this quarter is in the books, but uh, that that's one thing they're going to have to be doing. The second thing uh, is they have about one, just shy of $1.3 billion in receivables on their balance sheet. That is a bit more problematic because, Nick, have you ever bought a car? I have not, thankfully. Oh, thankfully. darn. I was trying to set you up. Yeah, no, I'm not a, I'm not a big car guy either. But uh, um, usually when you buy a car, the dealership would like its money today. Right. If I go in and buy a car, I bought a car about nine, oh, actually about 11 months ago now. Uh, I bought a new car about 11 months ago. And uh, before I get my car, I have to hand them a cashier's check. Here, here is your check. So I paid. And so why are there all these receivables on Tesla's balance sheet? And this is a question because if I'm, if I'm paying cash before I take the car, how do we have a receivables balance of, you know, it's been averaging about 1.3 billion for the last five or six quarters. And, 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 and people far smarter than I have been asking this question publicly saying, well, why is this? And, and the explanation that's been coming out of Tesla has, has not been clear and it's not been consistent. And one time it's well, cause the quarter ended on a Tuesday or on a Sunday. And so, you know, we, we can't get the, the books cleared by the, but there's been, there's been multiple reasons given. And yet, you know, this is kind of a little bit odd that that we have, you know, the, uh, high high elevated receivables. Like if they were able to liquidate those receivables, let's say take back, go from 1.3 billion to say 900 million next quarter. That's 400 million in cash that would come into Tesla and would just, you know, obliterate my entire argument here, frankly. Um, but yet it doesn't happen. Why is that? If you can figure it out, please email me, jgillies at fool.com. I would love to hear it um, because, you know, because you will be doing a service to the uh, the analyst community because so far, um, you know, Tesla is being very, very, very tight-lipped on that. The, the other thing about Tesla is, you know, when you look at their cash flow is they, uh, what, what the whole thing with uh, running to the end of quarter is, you know, ramming about 70% of your of your cars at, at the end of the quarter has been doing able to do is it allows them to um, keep cash on their books uh, through quarter's end. So the balance sheet is just a point in time, right? The balance sheet is close of business on the last day of the quarter. And so on the balance sheet, you find out their accruals and their accounts payables on the, the right-hand side of the balance sheet, the liability side of the balance sheet. And Tesla by ramming all their their sales in towards the end of the quarter what they're able to do is they're able to push off their payables right until the start of the next quarter remember when i said it's fairly mundane or whatever and and tesla's been doing this for a while so they they, they said they had uh, about eight billion in cash on their most recent uh balance sheet i believe i have 8.1 i think somewhere in there um, but that is not what they have throughout the quarter in its entirety and the way we can look, we way we know that well, Elon Musk said can, that that happens in a deposition, so we can trust him. Well, yes, but but I mean, like he he ain't saying that in the quarterly conference calls, Nick. right? No, he yeah, but but no, but what they're doing. And look again, there there's so many things that in isolation actually aren't really red or even yellow flags, but when you have all of these things start piling on top of each other, the flags do start waving a little bit. Okay, so like look. When you get your credit card bill, I mean, I'm asking a question that maybe you're going to completely, you know, detonate me here. But look, if I get my credit card bill and it says I pay in three weeks, do I pay it that day or do I schedule my payment for like the day before it's due? Day before it's due, for sure. Uh, yeah, like you know, I'm not going to give you my cash three weeks early. I'll give it to you the day before it's due. So you know, look, there's there's no sin in doing this, right? But when it when it when it becomes repeatable. And it's, you know, and so what you end up, and they always focus on their cash at the end of the quarter, but they, 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 they distinctly will not answer questions about, well, what is an interquarter? So all kinds of companies, as they've been reporting here in, in uh, the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, people are real interested in, hey, how's your balance sheet? How's your liquidity? Can we talk about that balance sheet again? Kind of thing, right? I mean, this is, this is uh, something that's on everyone's mind with everyone's company. Tesla wouldn't answer the question. They just blew right past it. I assure you, they they might have had eight billion at the end of Q1, but they had four plus billion in payables due. 
at the end of or at the end of, at the end of the same quarter. It's a good bet that you know billion or two dollar billion or two cash went out the door within a week after quarter's end to go try to tamp down some of the payables there. I'm I'm of the opinion that you know Tesla likes to spin a narrative and you know, to all to an extent we all like to spin a narrative about you know how well we're doing. That is, you know what what else is Facebook and Instagram looking good on the gram, right? You know we're we're telling a we're telling a stylized highly stylized account of our own lives. Um, but this is this is a case of you know they don't have eight billion dollars in cash now. With apparently as of this morning we saw some news stories come over Bloomberg. Apparently uh, Shanghai is closed uh, at least for a day or two on a parts issue. Uh, that's fine. You can't get cash out of China anyway. So any cash in that eight billion that's domiciled in China, you not can't use it for Tesla uh, in Fremont, Tesla North America. Um, Add in the payables they've had in there. Add in the fact that auto sales are, uh, cratered in the month of April. Um, you know, I, I happen to believe that Tesla is going to need to raise capital again, which is kind of an odd thing to say, you know, for a company with eight billion dollars in cash on the books. But you know, I, I happen to think I, I, I think they're going to have to raise capital again before the second quarter is reported. But you know. Could be wrong, but that's my that's my expectation. Right. So 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 we've raised a, you know a, a lot of second level concerns drilling into the to the the cash flow statement, drilling into uh, the way they're carrying some, some things on their balance sheet from the point of view um, of accounts receivable. I you know you know I know all these auto companies are gonna, are going to struggle as production is shut down. You know what could the company report that would could kind of unwind these concerns in the numbers like so so what would what would kind of unwind the, the, these concerns that you have uh if you if you saw the company report uh report those uh the, some new facts i want to see the receivables come down and a good honest explanation of why that is i would like to see uh the inventory come down um with this quarter i would like to see um again don't much care about, don't much care about gap profit, you know. So don't try to impress me with gap profit because it doesn't impress me. Um, give me cash flows, cash, 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 cash. Um, you know, it's, I'm I'm very one track mind, very boring there. Uh, and again, this is not a test. This actually is not a Tesla issue. This is a every company. I want to know how your cash and how your financing and how your liquidity is going and add the balance sheet in. Um, I would like to. This is going to say sound paradoxical, perhaps. There's a lot of companies who, in the middle of this coronavirus, start reporting their quarters. There's a lot of companies with a lot of bad stuff that's been happening to them. And we understand why. We've shut the economy down in the first world, you know, somewhat willy-nilly, of, of our own volition to, to fight against this, this pandemic. It's okay if things have gone bad for you in this quarter. We are understanding. What went wrong at Tesla this quarter? Every, every other car company in the world is, is reporting, and I know they're not a car company. Of course they're a car company. Uh, you get, you know, but you know, like they're, 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 they're going to claim that they're more of a technology company. But like, you know, like stop, stop with the, with the superlatives, like, you know, like, I mean, about a year ago, uh, Elon said something about, you know, every, every Tesla will be a robo taxi, full self driving. It'll be making money while you're, while you're asleep. It'll let be driving. I mean, I guess it has to be sanitized, but whatever. That's he, he didn't know about the pandemic. So we'll cut that with some slack. Um, there'd be, there'd be a million robo taxis on the road this year. How many are on the road, Nick? I mean, well, zero. Rough, zero. rough estimate. Uh, yeah, rough yeah. estimate. I mean, zero, zero. would be zero. I mean, we, that, that, that's a that's a whole other show. That's a whole that's a whole other rabbit hole we can go well, no, down. But, but yes, no. But where where I'm going with that is, you know what? It is okay to have had some things go wrong this quarter and and the pet coming quarter. I I almost want to I I almost think that you know admitting to a degree of fallibility, admitting to a degree that you know, hey, some things aren't working out for us because of this, that, or the other thing. Um, we we know it's happened in the past privately. You know, we, we there's been you know times when Musk has said you know uh, they they were weeks away from bankruptcy when you know they had like a fifty billion dollar market cap or something like that. Um, that that would concern me if I was a shareholder there. <laughs> um, 
we know that they've said things privately, but there's never, I mean, everything publicly is always um, so amazing and too good to be true sometimes. And that, that kind of, may, maybe I'm a deeply black-hearted, cynical human being. And there's some, probably some argument for that point. Um, but, you know, like, sh- show a little Achilles heel and you'll go further with me. How's that? That's fair. You know, I would say every company has some incentive to hold them in their best light. I do say on the narrative side, we've talked for a long time on on Tesla, the company, so we won't have a ton of time to go into this story. But it was interesting. You know, we've called out some concerns on their earnings, but but generally the earnings were were, were positively uh, received by by, by much, uh, many of the observers. But then coming over the top, we had another Elon Musk uh, Twitter uh, rampage, I think is the only only way to describe it, uh, tweeting, uh, that Tesla st- stock price is too high. IMO tweeting that he's going to sell all his uh, all his physical possessions. Tweeting uh, all the lyrics uh, uh, to the Star Spangled Banner. So th- you know, throwing that in the context of, of what were pretty impressive earnings in the context uh, of, of what's going on here. Uh, <laughs> what have you ever seen anything like this from a public company? No, that that should concern you. I I I. If the best you can come up with is, well, that's just Elon being Elon. Um, okay, when was the last time the CEO of Starbucks pulled that stunt? How about the CEO of Home Depot? Um, like, I want my CEOs to be boring and focused on their business. I don't want, and, and this, look, this, again, this is not a Tesla issue. It just, you know, but he, if he wants to do this, you know, we have to, like, look, Steve Jobs, you know, uh, the late CEO, founder of Apple, of course. Steve Jobs never met a camera he didn't like, right? Like Steve Jobs liked a little bit of drama, liked a little, like he did. And he got himself in trouble a couple times, okay? When was the last time you saw Tim Cook saying, ah, oh, my stock price is too high, the current CEO of Apple? You know, uh, the, the CEO of Shopify, Canada's largest company now, um, the CEO of Shopify, you know, he... He likes the he likes the limelight a little more than perhaps you know some people might want to acknowledge, uh, and I say that as a shareholder. Um, but this was just strange. And 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 what's worse? Okay, fine. You want to text? You want to tweet out the lyrics, the Star Spangled Banner? Sure, whatever. Have fun. Uh, you want to uh, tweet that you're going to sell all your worldly possessions? Also, that's fine. Like you know, like he's got several multi-million dollar houses. Um, I would, I would argue that since there was a very publicized news story in I think, uh, last third of 2018, where he took out very large mortgages against these houses, it may be arguable. He already doesn't own them. Uh, you know, it's mainly owned by the banks. Um, but again, you know, like that, that's fine. Like, but the one thing there that should give you pause, the one thing was him saying our stock price is too high. That is arguably a violation of the consent degree that he signed with the SEC after the 420 funding to cure debacle, which cost him $40 million, by the way, 20 million for him, 20 million for Tesla, which he reimbursed. There, there is a reasonable argument to be made that the CEO just, you know, tweeted material information and without any oversight, without the so-called Twitter sitter, which is what the, you know, it's the unfortunate euphemism maybe that uh, came out of the consent decree. But, but you know, the company has said Elon on Twitter is how we are communicating to investors. So no press release, no 8K, whatever. That, okay, the CEO of the company just said the, the stock price is too high. I haven't seen a great explanation as to why he did that. I think he could face enforcement from the SEC again. We'll see. But it just seems reckless and a little silly, frankly. Yeah, I'll tell you my perspective on it, and I've kind of have two minds on it. Uh, part of it, part of me feels like what feels like you do. Of, you know, this is ridiculous. This is a person, and you know, I went to law school. I'm a lawyer. Like I have, you know, I can pull out, pull out my, uh, my 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 bar card out of my wallet for you. Um, to just you know thumb your nose at, at at you know your SEC settlement for the second time right because we had the amendment this is currently yeah. the amendment the amended set settlement true. I mean it's just beyond the pale but then there's another part of me which I, I'm sure a lot of people feel this way too 
of they're just numb to this, right? There's this new craziness all the time uh, from Musk and really all over Twitter, right? There's this nonsense all the time. And mm-hmm. part of you just wants yep. to just, you know, just say that this is this is this is craziness. Why should I pay attention to this? And I think that that concerns me as well, because I'm someone who really pays attention to this stuff and really cares about capital markets and corporate governance and all that sort of thing. And if I have if I'm starting to feel this way, then, then that just you know shows how our perception uh, is slipping somewhat and what we expect from our public figures. And, you know, that's a whole other conversation of why that may be. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> One that would get us both in trouble, I yeah. think. Um, yeah, look, it is so, yeah, there's just so much and it's just coming so straight. And it's like, it almost like, look, the, the criticisms I have of Tesla's quarter, the finance, I'm trying to keep it on the company itself. And again, I, I have no position. I'm neither long nor short. Uh, I have been both long and short in the past, uh, but I have I've not had a position for you know, pretty much a year. Um, I, it, it just like, why am I like Tesla's by far the most fun company to follow, but it's just exhausting. And like, like by, by the time, like the criticisms I raise about the financial numbers, what's, what's coming out of Tesla. I'm not the only one that noticed them. Uh, people far smarter than me were posting and you know and, and various various investing blogs and coming up on Twitter and, and, and various places around the fool and what have you. You didn't have. To, I mean, I'm not raising anything new. But by the time Elon went on this tweet storm, you, you, you forgot about those criticisms. It was like, oh well, good lord, what's he doing now? And you know, and you start seeing people coming out, you know, saying, oh well, you know, he's under a lot of stress. Oh, he's got another baby coming, and he did. Congratulations, you know, uh, as a as a father myself and as a fan of children, um, congratulations, Elon. Um, but you know, it's just what what is going to come next, and you know what is and 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 look. I'm a really boring investing guy. I, as I mentioned earlier, I like cash flows. Uh, I don't. You, you mentioned earlier about you know uh, you know add to your winners, not your losers. I I might argue there's an argument for doing both at certain times. You certainly don't add to every winner. You certainly don't add to every loser. But tie it to valuation, and and you know, and, and I've done the valuation work, and I've tied a lot of stuff valuation work on Tesla. And does anyone want to, like, you know, if you accept, and I know a lot of people don't accept this, but if you accept that Tesla is a car OEM, they're a car company, at least in part, and at least in their most important parts, because, you know, go look at what their revenue is made up of. It's cars. Cool cars, but cars. If you then look at, what every other car company valuation is and you and you then give tesla every benefit of the doubt and then you look at their valuation it is an order of magnitude higher than everybody else's like it is just it's way beyond the pale um and again look i i know elon's getting a nice pay package this week as his uh his incentive thing is going to kick in for for market cap i'm Part of me is wondering if that is what's been uh, maybe keeping some things afloat. I don't know, but just from a from a just a boring valuation perspective, maybe I lack vision. I, I I'll accept that criticism, but this does not add up, and that that's why for me I just kind of sit back and go, I can raise flags, and you can own it, you can not own it. That's fine. But my job as an analyst, I mean, I am, I am literally not doing my job if I don't raise flags where I see it, regardless of which company it is. So, All right, Jim, last last question. I know we've ran, ran super long, discussed a lot of great stuff uh, uh, for the listeners. I have to kind of ask this question because I know a lot of people listening are going to be asking it, right? Uh, the super high valuation. I mean, Amazon was super overvalued for a really long time. Shopify super overvalued for a really long time. A lot, a lot of really Ooh, great... I can, I can speak lot, to A lot, sure. lot of really great uh, uh, winning companies. Why... Does that yes, rationale? Let's go. Uh, why, why, why would you say that rationale doesn't apply in this case at this time? Uh, I would say to you, first off, fools, I encourage you to go back through the financial holdings or the financial statements of Tesla, and you go to the cash flow statement and you go to the cash flows from financing activities. How much money have they raised, and with what frequency? And I will give you a hint. 
it's a lot, and you compare it to Amazon, since you brought up Amazon, Nick, go do this for both companies in their first 10 years of being public. And chart the first 10 years, Amazon raising capital through financing, that is new equity and new debt placements, and chart it against Tesla. And you tell me what you see. And what you will see is a relatively flat line over time from Amazon and a steady line up and to the right for Tesla. They are continually raising capital, even this far into their journey as a public company. Okay, That's number one, that, that this is not even remotely like Amazon because Amazon has been self-funding for a good long time. The second thing is Amazon in the height of the credit or is it credit crisis at the height of the credit crisis that would be the dearth anyway or the the trough no at the height of the tech bubble like i'm old enough that i was doing this back i was doing this back when you know the internet's going to change the world and e-toys and e-pets and e-this and e-that uh you know and amazon is this you know money losing book company um you know on the nasdaq and it's never going to make any money uh you know unless you listen to david gardner so um, which I hope some people did. Amazon at its height, I believe got to, I don't have the spreadsheet open here or any of our things we use to track these things, but I believe it got up to about 30 times sales. Okay. At its height in like 99, early 2000. Within a, a year or two, and it fell about 90% from its high, it reached in 99, 2000. Uh, it was down to about four, four to five times sales and where I think it might have been as low as two times sales on a valuation basis. And since then, it has generally ranged between two and five times sales for 20 plus years. I think today it's at one of its higher multiples to sales than it's ever been in that era. And I think it's still under five times sales. So we won't pick on Tesla anymore because, you know, frankly, it's kind of boring. We've done that. We've done that. But let's pick on Shopify. Canada's largest company. Let's 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 go after them for some fun. Shopify, now the largest company in Canada, is trading at about 48, 49 times, somewhere between 45 and 50 times sales. Okay, that should scare you. That should that should frighten you as an investor. And I am an investor in Shopify. Me too. But yeah, you too, and practically everyone else in the pool. Um, that should frighten you because. There is so strong, when we bought it originally in, in one of the Canadian services, uh, we bought it at about nine times sales in June 2016. And there's a lot of growth that's assumed in that price, okay? And what ended up happening is you go back now, was, I believe it was, we bought it in June 16. So, was, you know, we, we still had, we had Q1 2016 in the books when we were looking backwards. We're buying at nine times sales, whatever the last 12 months is. If you look at the price today and the way that the growth has gone, the price we paid there was, I think we're now below one time sales because the sales has done this, it's gone skyrocketing, okay? So that was a case of, okay, well, we paid up for growth, not as much as you're paying up for now, but we paid up for growth. The growth happened, the valuation, it grew into its valuation. This is the classic grow into your valuation story. Same deal, Amazon, I think we'd say, I think we can call it after two plus decades, Amazon turned out to not be some piddly little bookseller. Amazon turned out to be a logistics company. You get you anything, anytime, anywhere. Okay. The growth manifested, grew into its sales. Amazon is good. Now let's go back to Tesla. I wasn't done picking on them. Go back to Tesla. Tesla mentioned the cash flow from financing. And again, I believe... I, I could be wrong. I believe you're going to see yet another capital raise, probably a convertible debt offering, probably on the order of $2 billion sometime within the next month. So there's, there's the stocking horse people can tell me I'm wrong on when we get to July and nothing happens. You have the financing arm there. But also, when I said Shopify, when I said Amazon grew into its valuation, Shopify, nosebleed valuation, I'm not sure I'd be paying 48 times sales today, frankly. My cost basis is a lot lower than it is today. And and I'm telling you right now, I will exit probably some of my position in the if it stays where it is today, if I, if I can stop talking about it and things like this. Um, Tesla, can how are they growing? Their most recent quarter or mo most recent year-over-year period, I believe it's about a 15% grower. 
And this year, the last trailing four quarters includes the Model 3 launch and I guess the nascent launch of Model Y, but that really hasn't done much. Whereas the the, the, the 12 months previously ending uh, in Q1 2019 doesn't include the Model 3 really. It includes some Model 3, but not a full year. And it's 15% growth. How does Tesla grow? So Shopify's grown. Amazon's really grown. How does Tesla grow to support the current valuation? What because Model Y ain't going to do it. Are we going to launch another? What, what's what's coming? The Model Model S and the Model X are in decline. It's fine. You know, cars have a natural lifespan. Um, the three is out there, but it's a lower price point. The Y is out there, but it's lower price point so far. Minuscule sales. Cybertruck, the semi, the Roadster two, like, like require additional these are vehicle not, launches to, to to take place. These are not, but yeah. but those things I just mentioned, those will not be the massive growth engines that they need to grow into their valuation. And so I ask again, what will be? Because if you look at the actual growth on the financial statements, Tesla's not getting it done to the valuation they need. And that, and again, I have no position, folks. I I hope you are listening with the spirit which this is intended, which is think about what you own and you should you should do this with every if you want me to do a deep dive on what's wrong with Shopify and you know the stock that I own, I'll be happy to do that too. I ask this question about any company I look at, any company I own. This would concern me if I were a Tesla shareholder. The growth is not necessarily there to the extent you're gonna need for this to support this valuation. And, and I honestly, and I honestly hope it does manifest and that they're able to do something that I don't envision uh, because that would be good for shareholders. And there's lots of shareholders among fools. Yeah, I think I think the wig wild card out there to the things that you mentioned, and I, I generally agree on the on the on the auto ramp, uh, the, the big wild card out there, a lot of folks would call out would be autonomy. And that's a whole nother show. Um, I have my own skepticisms there. But Jim, thanks, as always, uh, for coming on the show, sharing your thoughts. I know we ran long on this one for the listeners, but hey, we I'm got sorry. a lot to talk about. We got Warren Buffett and Elon Musk in one show. I mean, heck, what, what, there's there's too much to talk about here. Thanks for coming on. I, I, I have been known to prattle, and so thank you for putting up with me, fools. And thank you, Nick, for inviting me on. Yeah. As always, people on the program, my own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for making us sound so nice. For Jim Gillies, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and full on.